The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I'm talking today with Rachel Stevenson. Rachel's a writer, speaker, educator, and administrator who's living fully with grief. She's currently the university director of the CUNY Service Corps at the City University of New York. And her professional experience includes designing and implementing innovative experiential education programs in civic engagement, workforce development, and youth development, writing interactive curricula, facilitating and emceeing professional development workshops and special events, fundraising, and more at a range of educational institutions and nonprofit organizations in New York City. She's married with three daughters. And though Rachel has not spent her career in the world of grief and bereavement, she spent her life thinking about her own grief. Her mother died suddenly when Rachel was five, and knowing that she would one day revisit her own story to connect with others about navigating loss. And I'm, I'm happy that that moment has come so I can share her message on the show. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I am so happy to be here. So happy to have you and happy that you reached out with your TED Talk, which, um, uh, Against Grieving in Silence, do I have the title right? That's right. Yeah. Um, It's uh, really uh, such a powerful, uh, you know, I love, uh, for those people that don't know TED Talks, they're 18-minute talks about uh, just a wide range of subjects. And I love them because a person's message gets so condensed and uh, intensified, I feel, and I really felt that watching watching yours, that you were just so clear in, in what your vision is of what you want to share in the world about your grief. No, that's right. And I have to say, I, I will credit the team that worked with me as I wrote and rewrote and rewrote that talk. They asked me some really important questions that helped me to crystallize the message. Um, And I think one of the questions that stood out most to me and really got me to where I needed to be was, what if a 10-year-old child sees your TED Talk three days after his mother died? Wow, what what a question. Yeah, no, I mean, like, (laughs) chills, right? Chills down the spine. What would you want him to take away from your talk? You know, what, what is the fundamental message? And that helped me to see clearly what I wanted to say in those, you know, 18 minutes. 
that really brings tears to my eyes, too, because I work with so many people in adulthood who've had a silenced grief, and they're left with so many... um, so much residue residue from that and even just the idea of a young uh, child experiencing that and hearing from another person who also experienced it talk about it it's okay you know uh, even if their family can't I could imagine that having a pretty profound impact absolutely I think you know the more that I have been asked to speak about this message and and find other words, you know, to communicate it. I think what I'm trying to to say is that silencing grief is ultimately compounding it or it's creating yet another loss because as I think back on my own experience, you know, I wasn't able to uh, be a partner to my father or, you know, my grandmother or other family members in grief. You know, we, we took these very separate journeys and when I ended up discovering things that um, I had known about how my mom died and, you know, some of the details that had been withheld in order to protect me, you know, not only was I profoundly sad because, of course, my mother had been killed, but I was also angry and confused and disoriented and, you know, questioning um, the nature of the relationships I had with the living, you know, like why, why were these things secret? So, I mean, my big message right now is that keeping things inside and especially, you know, withholding from children will only create more loss, right? You're not, you're not protecting them from anything. If anything, it's, it's making things um, more intense, especially when discoveries are made. Because, you know, some things are going to happen and, and people learn things and ask questions. And, you know, you can only hold things back for so long. Mm. Yes, and also I think we really um, very profoundly underestimate children. Uh, yes. I, I had, um, I encountered a lot more, you know, my experience being that I lost my partner and we had children. I encountered a whole lot more trouble trying to talk honestly with adults than I did yes. with the kids. Absolutely. <laughs> I think the adults, lying. yeah, the adults... The adults are the ones who complicate it, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think kids are coming to to those moments um, prepared for them. They are equipped to deal with them. I mean, I think that's that's a big piece of what I'm trying to say, too, is that kids can handle ex- the explicit truth and even better than, than grown-ups in a lot of ways. I think that young people um, want are entitled to the truth. That's another thing, right? I mean, because kids are little and uh, we, we maybe underestimate their ability to deal with these complicated things, but also I don't think we're, we're giving them what they are owed, you know? I mean, they have relationships with the dead too. <laughs> um, and just because their grief might look a little different or, um, you know, things don't appear the way they might appear in grown-ups, you know, that doesn't mean they, they are not owed the same things adults are. Well, actually, uh, this just came to my mind as we were talking, as I was listening to you. Um, I'm thinking about my youngest daughter, who was two and a half when when my partner died. And that that's such a, you know, you were five, two and a half, so concrete. 
uh, facts matter at that age so much. You know, actual right. information um, and concrete information to me at that age help kids to feel kind of um, grounded. Right. <laughs> they're not. Right. They're not very theoretical. <laughs> it's know? true, and you know, people don't always um, feel comfortable saying the direct words related to death. You know, we, we a lot of people talk in euphemisms, and and you know, interesting in my case, um, and and I know that this was happening because the people in my life, you know, my grandmother and my father in particular, were totally disoriented themselves and and shock and and figuring this stuff out. So, I mean, one of the things that I do want to say, and I've tried to say over and over, is that, you know, sharing this from my perspective is not meant to be an indictment of them, right? In the moment, this is what happened. This is what was communicated. And I just hope that, um, you know, it opens up conversations now. I don't mean to um, fixate too much on, you know, what happened then. But I can say that, Two things were said to me um, you know, regarding my mom's death. One was in the middle of the night when my grandmother had to leave the apartment where I was sleeping. I was spending the night with her because my parents were out with friends on a date. And she had gotten a call in the middle of the night because this car accident had happened. Um, you know, my parents had been rushed to the hospital. My mom had died. And so she needed to let me know that she was leaving the apartment. And what she said to me was, I have to go. Your mommy's sick. Mm. Now, that was, you know, that's all she could muster at the time, right? But in my mind, I took it literally, you know? Like, I started to think that my mom had a fever, you know? Or maybe she was in a bed somewhere shivering, covered up with a blanket, you know, eating chicken soup. I mean, so I started to think about my mom being sick. And that's what I sat with that whole night. I really didn't sleep much. And then the next morning... When she and my father returned, of course, they returned without my mom. Immediately, my dad said to me, your mommy's in heaven now. She's with the angels. So, you know, this was soft language (laughs) to describe Mm -hmm. what had happened. But, you know, in my mind, I connected your mommy's sick with she's in heaven. And and that left me with, with no real information about what had happened to her, which is that, you know, she had been killed in a car accident. A car had collided with the car my dad was driving. And my parents' car had flipped over three times. And my mother had been partially ejected from the car and had died instantly. You know, n- none of this was communicated to me. And honestly, I didn't really learn any, this, any of these details until three years ago. You know, I'm about to be 40 years old tomorrow, in fact. <laughs> and it was only, <laughs> you know, thank you. It was only three years ago that I actually found out what happened um, in detail, you know, the night of the accident. So, you know, it's just those euphemisms and the language that people use with kids you're right. I mean, they, they are ultimately confusing, and they don't help kids to be grounded and to really understand what happened. And they also can be so extremely disturbing. For instance, usually the um, she's in heaven statement, which I've heard many times, goes along with she's in a better place. And mm-hmm. I think for a kid, what a disturbing notion that any place but with you is better. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it it just avoids the whole uh issue of you know, her not having wanted in any way to leave you. Exactly. 
Well, uh, and even the, the, you know, she, she's mommy's sick. You know, I have to go now, mommy's sick. I can't imagine, I mean, I don't know how to explain this, but, but I know based on my own experience that that kind of stuff gets internalized. And in the mind of a child, um, you know, that takes root. And, you know, for years and years and years as a young adult, um, and, a, and an adult adult, I struggled with anxiety, especially related to health. Ah. And, you know, always living with this fear that, that I was going to get sick and, and die. And that especially um, got worse once I became a mother. And, you know, I think to myself, when, you know, when I've talked to folks about this, I say, well, I mean, my mom didn't die of a sickness. You know, she was killed in an accident. But when I think about it, I lived with your mommy's sick, your mommy's sick for years and years, right? And I, and I right. did have that visual image of her in a sickbed, you know, with a thermometer hanging off her lips. So right. it's really no surprise that deep, deep down in my subconscious, you know, that I would internalize this fear about suddenly being ripped out of my own life because of some health-related issue, you know? And that there's no, no stop in between. It's actually pretty rare to get ill and die suddenly it happens but it's rare so but that got associated in in your mind i would imagine you know if someone says that they're that your important person is sick they're gonna die (laughs) on the spot i mean there would be that that kind of imprint on you wouldn't there that's right no it's true it's it's very true and until Right now, I mean, I'm making this connection more as we speak about this, because the truth is I've always thought that the anxiety I've struggled with has been connected to sudden loss at a young age, just because your world is rocked. And, um, you know, especially when you feel like you didn't have the space to really wrestle with it. You know, I mean, all that stuff gets shoved shoved inside, and so it's going to manifest in some way. And ultimately... You know, I was a highly functioning kid, and I've been a highly functioning adult. You know, I did really well in school, and I was really goal-oriented. And, you know, on the face of it, wow, you know, nothing's wrong. This kid is thriving, you know. I mean, nothing bad could have happened to this person. But I think in the end, because all of that stuff was shoved down so deep, you know, my body had to some, or my mind had to somehow process my grief and that's how it ended up manifesting for me, especially, as I said, as I, you know, went to college and sort of started to live an independent life. That's really interesting. I'm thinking about my own oldest child whose uh, who's dad died when she was 11, and for various reasons, she couldn't really participate in, in that experience uh, in any kind of big way. Um, we were never partners. Um, so I wasn't in the, he had a partner, you know, we were kind of to mm-hmm. the side and, uh, he died of, of, um, septicemia. She still has a deathly fear of germs, mm. but she doesn't have a deathly fear of cancer. My wife died of cancer and she was in that a hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't have a uh, an out of proportion fear of that, if that makes sense. It does, and I'm and it's... I'm thinking suddenly that's related. Yeah, that, that 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 this one she was sort of to the side of is was harder for her to assimilate. So let's right. let's. 
pick that up when we come back. It's time for our first break. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find Rachel at deardeadmother.wordpress.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Rachel Stevenson, whose TEDx talk, Against Grieving in Silence, had has brought her more publicly into the conversation about grief and but not begun her her uh conversation with herself about grief which started with her mother's death at 5 and before the break Rachel uh there were some eliminations uh, kind of popping for me about uh and I guess for you too as we were talking about during the break about just how um the, the unspoken gets embedded in our bodies and souls in a way and, you know, maybe leads to anxiety and um, a, a real lack of peace with the event. 
Yes, absolutely. And I love the way you say that, the unspoken, you know, getting embedded into our bodies. I think that is so true. I would also add, because we talked about the fact that that so many of these um, decisions to keep things silent or withhold information are made as a protective gesture, right? People think they're doing um, the best for the for the kids. But I want to also add and say that the kids themselves can can support the adults, right? In that same way, we're under underestimating their ability to to process death or grief and you know, be really present in the experience, I think we're underestimating their ability to support us, you know, Mm. as, as people in our lives, people who have relationships with us. And that's one thing I so desperately longed for um, as I got older. Um, You know, part of my TEDx talk is, is about my mom's death, obviously, but I think um, the bigger part is about my dad's death, which happened Mm. a few years ago um, due to alcoholism, he went down a road after my mom's death that, that got him to that point in his life. He suppressed his grief, wasn't able to talk to me about what happened. And I firmly believe, you know, it, it debilitated him emotionally, even though he, you know, functioned, right? He really, he functioned, he worked, he, he had relationships, even though he never, really went very far in those relationships. But, you know, I mean, he, again, on the surface, you know, he he lived his life. But I know he was haunted by what happened. And I know in the end, it, 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 it led to decisions that he made, cutting himself off from love, cutting himself off from intimacy, and then, you know, turning to alcohol and, and pills to, to numb himself. Now, I, I wish that, he and I would have been able to talk about my mom because I think, you know, I could have helped him. He could have helped me. And I I often wonder if the outcome for him would have been different had we had a different relationship with grief. You know, we both lost the same woman. Well, also, um, I find for myself, uh, regardless of age, of course, I've only... I, I only really experienced deep loss like that as an adult, but I watched kids experience it. Um, grief is kind of has two sides. There's the alone part, but there's the very connective part, uh, the part that opens you to contact with another person that you love it, when you share it. And right. it, as you were speaking, I was thinking all of that missed connection. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I, I do think when we shut down grief, we kind of have to shut down everything a little bit. Absolutely. And so I, I'm guessing that it was hard to connect, period. Uh, That's right. For, for you and him. Would that be That's true right. to say? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, love is the flip side of loss. I mean, we hear that all the time that, you know, the depth of your grief <clears throat> is a is a relationship to the depth of the the love that you had for someone and i think i think that's right i think in the end because he was trying to really control his emotions and um cut cut off certain things that that meant that we we existed together at a, in a certain dimension you know a certain relationship mm-hmm. dimension and it was day to day um what it needed to be but we never really got beyond a certain point as as father and daughter and i think that would have made a tremendous difference for both of us 
I know that uh, you basically say your grandmother raised you after that point. Did you live That's with right. your dad dad as well, or did was he an in and out presence? He he moved into his own apartment not not too long after my mom's death, and his mother, you know, my paternal grandmother, raised me, and she, you know, she did everything for me. And he would he would come um, and have dinner with us on on Sundays. You know, often enough, um, but, you know, it was more of a big brother relationship, I think, in the end. Keep in mind, he was incredibly young when it happened. He was only 22, 23 mm. when the accident happened. They were really young parents. And so this was, you know, a widower in his early 20s with a five-year-old daughter who he looked at and, and you know, who made him think about his his lost wife Right. And it was really hard for him to take that on. And so my grandmother, who loved him dearly and who loved me dearly, you know, stepped up and said, I'm going to help you do this. And she ended up bearing really the full burden. You know, I was with her until I left home for college. And, um, you know, she she was amazing. And I, you know, she made tremendous sacrifices for me. But also, you know, she and my dad were complicit in, in the silence. You know, I mean, I think... I think she wanted nothing more than to make things right for me, to normalize life mm-hmm. for me, um, to to make it so that I didn't feel that anything was wrong. I mean, I know that those were her intentions, but, you know, what that ended up doing was sort of undermining the loss, right? Because if you're not acknowledging sure. it, um, it's like it didn't happen. It's like this person didn't exist. And though I realized that she was trying to make everything right, you know, that 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 approach, I think, in the end, um, you know, wasn't wasn't the best. <laughs> and so yeah, that, well, that, as I said earlier, is something I, I hope people think about because I know that her intentions were good, um, and I know what it felt like. Well, uh, you know, this is this is why I'm so dedicated to the quote unquote the conversation. <laughs> this is right. why why I do this show because if someone has heard it's better to to tell, right? It's better to yeah. talk. There's such a greater likelihood that they will. Right. Uh you're talking about people who had no um you know, no previous experience, no no you know, learning, nothing. Right. They just did the best they could, yeah? Exactly. There's no question. And and that's obviously um, you're raised, you're healthy, etc. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And um, this is also true that them not knowing that talking would be good for you right. had such a big impact. Right. There are two things that I can think of, two really vivid examples of when my grandmother and I finally connected about the subject of my mom's death and when my dad and I connected about the subject of my mom's death. I'll talk about my grandmother's first. Um, You know, when I was in college, I wrote a long, long, long personal essay about my mom's death and the silence in our family. And, I mean, I actually named the the paper My Silence Aching. I mean, it was this very melodramatic Mm -hmm. title. But, you know, that's where I was when I was 20 and really 
confronting this for the first time. And being away from home allowed me to do that, you know. And I brought this paper back to New Orleans from college, and I presented it to her. I presented it to my dad. And he, you know, he took it home. My grandmother read it, and I'll never forget, you know, she went into her her bedroom, she closed the door, and I was sitting on my bed, like, you know, foot tapping, looking around the room, just waiting, knowing she was in there, like, reading my words, you know, and I just, Mm. I desperately wanted to know what was going to happen. And she emerged from her room, and we went into the living room and talked for probably two or three hours, and it was the conversation we had about my mom. Um, and it did change things between the two of us after that. But, you know, I'll never forget what, what she said to me. Well, first of all, some of the things that I, that I said to her, like, well, it was years before I even knew that my mom was killed in a car accident. She said, really? Mm. Really? Like that hadn't even registered in her consciousness. Right. (laughs) I mean, this thing we were saying before about children taking things literally, you know, and like really wanting to ground ground the facts so that they understand, you know, it hadn't occurred to her that what she said, of course, in a rush to get out, and she probably didn't even remember what she said, and right. what my dad had said the next morning, she, it hadn't occurred to her that those two things put together would add up to what it added up to in my head. And then it hadn't occurred to her that they hadn't actually given me a status update. <laughs> that they happened. hadn't corrected it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they actually hadn't told me what happened. You know, that kind of got forgotten. But she couldn't believe it. Really? You know, like, really? You didn't know? All those years? It was a complete shock, which I think really underlines the fact for all of us that, you know, being intentional about communication with children is important. You know, you can't make assumptions. You can't, you can't assume they get it, you know, or they know because you know. You've got to really take the time and be intentional about those communications. So Absolutely. that's one thing I'll say about, about her. And in the end, she also told me that it was really hard for her to ever go back to the subject or want to talk about it with me because it was the worst night of her life. And you know, the pain that she felt even thinking about it was was so great that to bring that to me, she thought would, would create pain for me. And so, you know, I got that. But I also, you know, back to my earlier point, I feel, I feel like people are, you know, they owe their children information. And if it hurts, well, guess what? You kind of have to you have to hurt, you know, because these kids need need the information they need to to confront the reality that that they're suddenly faced with. And, so and that was not interesting. To mention, not to mention, it actually probably would have helped her. Yeah, but it, but right. it's really difficult. Um, I've I've talked about this before, but it's coming to my mind. Uh, I I of course we had we knew we knew we were in the final stage with my with my wife, mm-hmm. and uh, our youngest was two and a half. And I don't know what possessed us, but I'm really glad we were possessed. We actually got borrowed a stethoscope, and um, we explained death in physical terms to oh, her. Wow. Uh, we all listened to our hearts. Um, she listened to ours. She listened to her own. And then we explained that when you die, that stops. And mm. your body doesn't work anymore, and it can't ever work again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And um, all those questions that that uh, they talk about kids having 
um, like, where is she or, you know, all those things that seem a little deluded about whether the person's actually died. Not yeah. one time, not one time did she ask a question like that. Mm-hmm. So I believe it's a lack of information. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Just that, bottom line. Here's the information. That's right. Here's the information. You know, sometimes bodies quit. Yep. <laughs> and that is what is happening. It has nothing to do with wanting to be with you. Right. It has nothing to do with wanting to uh, with somewhere else being a better place. You know, we went <laughs> chapter and verse because it was years into this. We knew all the things that get said. Um, yeah. You know, so. And and I have to say, I'm sure there's an imprint from having an early loss, but not the same imprint it would be if we hadn't had the time to, you know, craft that, mm-hmm. to, to decide to handle it that way. That's right. It's, it's you know, it's so interesting. Um, even the words you were using just now about, you know, the body will stop working, that is literally... Um, how I told my daughters that my dad had died a few years ago. And of course, you know, the decisions that I'm making now as a parent are completely informed by my experience as a child. And I mean, I err on the side of truth telling um, to the nth degree. You know what I mean? Like the ugly truth, the real truth, no matter what the subject is, death, life, loss, love. I mean, whatever it is, (laughs) I just want to put it out there. Um, Uh You know, and maybe my kids are going to, has struggled with that. We'll see. Uh, I think my oldest daughter has, has, she's already started to tell me that I overcomplicate everything. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I'm sure she's feeling, she's feeling the effects for sure. But, you know, when my dad died, um, you know, I went, I told them, Papa drank too much alcohol and his body stopped working. You know, just like very literally, Mm -hmm. this is what happened. (laughs) Exactly. This is what happened. And yeah. how did they? How did you perceive them to incorporate that knowledge? I mean, uh, we say 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 more about what you're you're well, asking. Uh, you know, when you're close to you're close to your children, right? And you yeah. and you um, dealt with it that way. And I'm guessing you have some sense of how that worked between you yeah. and for them. Yeah? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that's important to say, too. You know, yeah. how did it come out? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And, the, and you know, my, my kids are a part of this narrative. You know, I see my experience as a motherless daughter 100% connected to my experience as a mother of three daughters. Um, and all of my you know, decisions as a communicator, especially, are connected to that. So, you know, yes, when my dad died, um, I told them immediately what happened. I mean, we were in different states. You know, my dad lived in in New Orleans still, and we're in New York. But immediately, you know, we went back to New Orleans, and we were family and friends. And, you know, I've never wanted them to not be a part of that conversation when hard things come up. And even when we talked about my dad's alcoholism, you know, they were there. They were there because I want them to, I want them to hear this stuff and I want them to grapple with it and know that people are imperfect and life is hard and people experience pain and it's okay to feel pain. Like that is a part of everyone's life experience and you don't, you don't need to run away from it. And so 
I mean, I can definitely say that it's opened up conversations between me and my kids. I mean, my, my middle daughter is more inclined to ask really probing questions about life and death. You know, I, I joke with her that she's going to grow up to be our singer-songwriter because she's, you know, very interested in what some might say are darker subjects, and I never hesitate to answer her questions. Now, my older daughter, you know, she'll... She she asks when she she wants to, but she doesn't always want to. She doesn't always need to. And I also don't want to impose my way on her. You know, we're not sure. the same person. So I just want to create, I just want them to know that there's the space to talk about anything. Um, and, you know, I feel like that is happening in our relationships for sure. Well, I was really enjoying uh, the blog post you wrote about your oldest. She's 11, correct? Or she was at that time. And, um, you know, I've had similar conversations. Oh, why do you always have to talk about that stuff (laughs) with with my kids at different points? (laughs) A lot of resistance, which is so funny, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, But... um, but what what's interesting is they're quite conversant when it comes to things that don't have to go, do with me directly. Mm. For instance, they're the first people to extend themselves when someone in their circle has a loss and mm-hmm. and say I I'm thinking about you, I'm here for you. You know, they're um wow, yeah. They're very open talking about my mother died uh a year ago, September, very open about talking about her and that loss and their feelings about it, you know, so they can't kind of, <laughs> kind of do it around my stuff or, I mean, forget talking about the fact that one day I will die. Don't, don't right. mention that, <laughs> but, right. but I see that it's impacting them in the way they respond to the, the world, Absolutely. Uh, you know, which I would I would guess it would be true of of your. You might be starting to be able to see that with your oldest daughter. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true, and and even my my middle daughter too. I I agree, and I think for me the message about communication and telling the truth that's big, and also just the fact that my mom and my dad and and all the people we've lost. Because I mean, you know, I lost my grandmother who raised me in two thousand and two, and. Uh, you know, I mean, so there there have been many losses in, in my life, and I want the stories of all of these people in our lives to go on, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I raged most against when I was a teenager, and, and, and the thing that frustrated me, the sense of injustice, you know, like my mom lived, she was here, and why is she mm-hmm. gone? You know, it's not fair. <laughs> and, and why and, is she gone maybe more than she needs to be? Yeah. Had it been had it been open, I'll bet you would know a lot more stories about your mom. Absolutely, and Absolutely. and that's a way that she didn't die, you know. Um, right, the story of and her that's life. The way, right, keeping our memories alive, keeping the stories alive, and so, you know, getting back to this point about how our children carry it on, or how this ultimately informs, you know, who they are and the way they think of themselves or the world. You know, my mom is a part of our, our family story, mm. just like everyone else. And, you know, I, I, I often think about how young I was when she died, right? And I really don't have a lot of concrete memories of, of her. And, of course, things have been filled in over time, especially as I've gotten older. And, and it was clear that 
I was on this path, you know, and I really needed to find things out. You know, little by little, people would start to tell me things, and, you know, one mm-hmm. discovery would lead to another. So, you know, she's much... She's, there are many more layers to, to her in my mind um, than there were years and years ago. Can, we, still, can we pick that up after the break? Of course. Because I want to hear more about that, and I don't want to. I, I want us to have a little more space. <laughs> so, listeners, you can go find both of us. You can find me at the Voice America Good Grief page or at my website, weatheringgrief.com. And to find Rachel Stevenson, go to deardeadmother.com. We'll be back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Rachel Stevenson, who makes a very impassioned plea for open, shared grief in a TED TED Talk she recently gave called Against Grieving in Silence, and um, in which she talks about losing her mother at five, but also the silent grief that contributed to losing her father early from alcoholism. And before the break, um, we were talking about your your mom and how if conversation is shut down, it's not just conversation about the death. It's also conversation about that person and who they were and what mattered about them and um, what was great and what was funny and all those parts yep. of a person. Yeah. And yeah, so you absolutely. Were, you were saying and that think- you had kind of retrieved that at some point or, or filled it in more when you started demanding these conversations. That's right. And now, you know, as a parent, you know, creating your family legacy, you know, like what are your family values and and what are the things you want to talk about with your kids? I think that my mom is definitely a part of our story and, you know, there's curiosity about who she was and, of course, who, who all the others were, too. And I think that's the point I'm I'm trying to make with my kids is that, you know, our lives are connected to the lives of those who came before and we don't want to lose any of that. Um, yes. You know, I have looked at my own children. I mean, it, right now my, my daughters are 11, 8, and 3. Mm. And I think about when, he, well, when my older girls turned 5, you know, that was a huge milestone for me because it was just four days after my fifth birthday 
that my mom died. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, tomorrow's my 40th birthday. Always yes. my birthday is linked to the, the anniversary of my mom's death. <laughs> Mm. So, you know, I'm turning 40 tomorrow. Uh, on March 1st, it'll be 35 years since she died. So, you know, whenever, when my, when my kids turned five, I realized how young I was. I mean, the, the five. Sure. You know, they're, they're, sure. They're babies. And this point I made earlier about the, you know, the only, the handful of memories that I could recall on my own. And I just, I, I, lo- I looked at them at that age and just thought to myself, God, what if I went away today or tomorrow? What would they be left with? And, you know, it, it, it was sad to me to think, about, to think about that. But the fact is my mother has been a huge presence in my life despite what happened. And, you know, so many people have supported me as, you know, I made clear – the direction I wanted to go and the information that I longed for. And so now, you know, it's crazy that I was so young when she was gone. I have so few memories of her. And yet she is this huge force in my life, <laughs> you know, and really helped yes. to propel me forward. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny to think about. You know, I, I had a guest, her name is Lorraine Headkey, and she's a, a real advocate for continuing relationship after a person mm. dies. And she and her daughter wrote a book, which I'm blanking the name of right now, but people can get in touch with me if they if they'd like the resource. Um, it's a book, a, a children's book about the relationship between her daughter and her mother. Uh, her mother died before her daughter was born, um, so it's it's a book about the relationship that she's cultivated for her daughter based on who her her mother was right but n- not on based on their in this world experience and i think that's sort of what we're talking about that you know you can be very close to a person who is not in their body <laughs> i no, i know from right. my experience you know so your mom is real to your kids cuz you make her real to them that's right you know, it's interesting, this idea of the continuing relationship. The blog that you mentioned earlier in the show, this WordPress blog, is called Dear Dead Mother, right? Because it started off in 2012 as letters to my mom. In 2012, my youngest daughter was born, and I just felt compelled to write my mom. <laughs> mm. So there are a handful of blog entries that I wrote years ago before this TED Talk or before I got more serious about, you know, getting the story out there and connecting with people. And it's interesting to read because I I wrote one literally within days of my my daughter's birth, describing what happened, you know, as if I were telling her. I also wrote um, something about my relationship with my dad. He was still alive at the time, and I was so angry and frustrated at him. And it's really painful for me to go back and read that blog entry because it is raw and I am angry. And I say to her, what did you see in him? <laughs> you know, uh, like these questions I wanted to ask her. Yes. And, and of course now I feel, I, you know, I, there's more peace in my life around my relationship with my dad. And I feel like I'm, because I lost him before he died, honestly, due, you know, to alcoholism and all of that. And right. I feel like, you know, I'm finally reconnecting with him and his story through this work and, and finding some peace there. But, it's you know so that blog started for me as a way to talk to her and now the entries aren't directed at her necessarily it's 
you know, the world and people who are in grief and people who want to talk about it. But those first few entries, if, if people go back to them, will see that they are letters to her. Well, it's interesting because when I was preparing for today, I was um, uh, kind of unconsciously, but then it became conscious, um, comparing you a little bit to a, a client I have who lost her mother young. And every time I'm sitting with her, her, her mother is like this filmy ghost in the room, right? Mm. But, but when I read uh, the things you've written, your mother was very vivid to me. Hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a quality of vividness to her. I don't know how else to describe it, uh, you know, presence. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that was always true for you or if it came more true as you claimed your right to her in some way. But it was very striking to me. And it fits with what you're, what you're saying in a way, mm-hmm. you know. That um, you're kind of claiming her in your life and, and making um, her, uh, recognizing her part in it. Yeah, no, I think absolutely that's right. I, you know, I, I didn't feel her presence for so many years and fought, fought to feel it, you know, and, and raged against the fact that I didn't. So I think what you're sensing is, is because of a kind of clarity that, you know, I have now about what this story means to me, what her relationship to me is now and, and to this work. Yeah. And, um, and I just feel so inspired by you and others I've talked to who want to have this conversation and who want to connect with people who need to hear this. And I think she's becoming, you know, more and more real to me by the day, honestly, I've had so many people reach out to me since the TEDx talk went live in, in January. And of course, they always lead with their stories. And I just feel like that's opening things up for me, too, even more. And I'm so excited to see where my, my relationship with my mom and my dad and my grandmother and all the people I've lost um, goes because of these opportunities I have to commiserate with others. Commiserate is a good word. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of other words too, but there is that aspect, isn't there? Yeah. And um, I'm thinking right now about one more, one more aspect I noticed in, in looking over your work, which is um, still the resistance. You know, when we, when you and I talk, we're in the same ballpark, you know, we share that value, right? Yep. But not everybody does, and sometimes the people closest to us don't. Right. Um, uh, you know, if to one degree or another, um, like my wife, when we go out to dinner, about half an hour and in, will frequently say, enough about the death, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I don't even realize I'm talking, I'm just talking about what I'm doing, and, you know, I... It's just my life to me, but she's like, we've talked about that enough now. Um, but I, and I noticed that you sometimes your family members, not not your um, nuclear family, but extended family, have a hard time. And I yeah. was wondering how you kind of keep going in the face of that, because of course there's a lot of subtle and not so subtle push to drop the subject. 
Yeah, no, that's that's real. And, you know, I'm just reopening this for, for my family, especially family members who are close to my dad and grandmother, um, who have relationships with, with them, right? They had relationships with them then and, and now. You know, for, for me, it's clear that one of the concerns that has been raised um, by family is that this story can lead to judgment, right? People did something wrong. Um, you know, something I've heard is that, you know, we need to give credit to those who made great sacrifices and who did the best they could. And, you know, you and I have acknowledged that during this show. Absolutely. And what, that's right. And what I'm trying to say back to, to my family is that, you know, we can talk about multiple things at once, right? I mean, you can talk about moments, difficult moments and missteps and tremendous sacrifices all at the same time. One does not um, mean the other doesn't exist. And I think what I'm trying to do now more than, than ever is to be able to add dimension here, you know, to, to make sure people understand that all of the players here are, are multidimensional human beings with amazing qualities and flaws, just like every single one of us. And I want to be able to honor them. You know, I, I really do think this is honoring everyone who's here, right? It's honoring my mother because she was ripped out of all of our lives. And in some ways that loss was compounded by the decisions people made. I want to honor her. I want to honor my father for, you know, the fact that he ultimately imposed a death sentence on himself. I mean, that's the way I view it, you know, mm. because of shutting down. And I think he felt unworthy of the love that people wanted to give him. I think he felt like he should have been the one to go, not her. And he wasn't going to allow himself the pleasure of life because she was not with him. So I want to honor that because he ended up making choices that compromised the quality of the life that he lived after her death, right? And then I want to honor my grandmother for being a part of this story and, and doing everything she needed to do to make sure that I was okay. Um, but also acknowledge that, you know, all of us had moments when we maybe could have done things differently. So I think that's my big message with, with family is that this subject is uncomfortable for a lot of people. And, but talking about it doesn't mean that, um, you know, we can't say good and bad things at once. And, I just think this is too important. I have felt the sense of inevitability about this story my whole life, honestly. I mean, I'm a writer at heart. You know, I've, that's not the career I've built. I, I work in higher ed, and I've, you know, I'm an educator. And, but the story has lived with me. And I just knew, well, and especially when things happen with my dad, and, you know, I see things from the perspective of a mom, not just a child. You know, I mean, it, there are all these layers, and I just knew that right. I would come back to this and that it, it could potentially um, get some traction, you know, and, and help help move this conversation forward. So despite the pushback, I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful way to close. And also, um, just want to say, um, it's not individuals that made those choices in a vacuum. There's been a real um, grief phobia in our culture. We're members of a culture that hasn't right. wanted to talk. So uh, I think you naturally are honoring them and with what you're doing. That's that's my sense of it. That you all paid a price for that cultural. That's uh, right. 
cultural problem. So I, I really want to thank you, Rachel. I could talk to you for several more hours here, and hopefully we'll find a way to work together in the future again. This has been great. Yeah, no, I would love to stay connected. I thank you so much for this opportunity. Absolutely. So listeners, you can go find Rachel Stevenson at her Facebook page, Rachel Stevenson, uh, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N, at her blog, deardeadmother.wordpress.com. Next week, I'll welcome Don Gross, a hospice and palliative care physician and the host of Dying to Talk Radio. I love that title. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.